0: All right, this morning's reading is from 1 John two twenty eight three ten. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves, just as He is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning."
1: Good morning, everybody. Um, So, how many of you have seen the movie Finding Nemo? Good, most of us. Good, good, good. Um, There's this great scene at the very, very end of the movie where there's this group of fish who they've been living in a fish tank in a dentist's office for the whole movie and they've been trying to get out of the fish tank and back to the ocean. And they've been unsuccessful, but at the very, 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 very end of the movie they finally succeed right, Uh, they somehow manage to break the fish tank, and the dentist, like, takes them out of the fish tank and puts them into these individual baggies of water, and he puts them on the counter, and then while he's distracted with the fish tank, they begin to push their little baggies of water, right, across the counter, out the window, down onto the ground, across a busy street, and then, bloop, down into the bay. Right, and the scene is where the very last fish is pushing her little, she's a starfish so it's really hard, she's pushing her little baggie of water and the others are cheering her come on, come on, come on, and she's like well that's the fastest red light I've ever seen and she's pushing the baggie and she gets to the edge and it finally drops down and yeah, we did it, hooray we're all here and they're all just kind of sitting there for a minute in their baggies of water in the ocean and then the one fish says now what? <laughs> it's a great movie It's a great movie. I wonder if some of us feel a little bit like that after Easter, right? So because Easter is this really big high point in the Christian year, isn't it? I mean, there's all this buildup during Lent, and then you get to Easter, and like, it doesn't matter where you go to church. I mean, if you guys were here, the service last week was banging. It was fantastic. But even if you were at the most boring church, In the history of boring churches, it was the least boring service of the whole year. It was, because it's just nothing but victory in Jesus, right? He is risen. He is risen indeed. The kingdom has come. Jesus is making all things new. He stands in victory. Amen and amen. Yes. And then you go out to an awesome lunch with friends and family, and you know, and then Monday rolls around. And we go back to work. And school starts back and, you know, the daily grind of life kind of goes back to itself, right? And I wonder if some of us are left feeling a little bit like those fish, like, now what? (laughs) Theologians like to refer to that tension as the already and the not yet. Jesus has already come, but he has not yet come again jesus has already brought the kingdom of god into our present reality but the kingdom of god has not yet been fully consummated we have already been freed from the power of sin and death but we have not yet been fully freed from the presence of sin and death already not yet we are already in the ocean But we're not yet out of the baggies of water. Okay? That's the reality that I want to speak to this morning. And when thinking about the already and the not yet, I really can't think of a better book of the Bible to turn to than the book of 1 John. Uh, Now, 1 John is in the New Testament... It's, right, it's very close to the end of the New Testament, and as its name suggests, it was written by the Apostle John. This is the Apostle John who was one of the twelve disciples of Jesus Christ. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the Book of Revelation. Same guy. But 1 John is a letter that John wrote to a church in the first century. And from what we can tell about the context, from the, from the context of the letter is that this church is they've just had a real rough go of things. Okay, so this is a time in history when Christians were increasingly gaining in unpopularity. There was an increasing amount of persecution and pushback against the Christian church. And this church has just had a group of people leave. So for a group of people in this church who would claim to follow Jesus has now left and they've actually become voices of opposition. They've become enemies. So... And that, that doesn't sound maybe like a big deal to us, but for them, they are, keep in mind, Christianity was not the dominant religion. They were on the margins, so, and not well-liked. So for many Christians at this time in history, their brothers and sisters in Jesus were the only real friends and family that they had. Maybe some of you can relate to that feeling. And so to have your family become your enemies... I mean, they must have been devastating, you know, disorienting, at at least discouraging. So John writes them this letter, and I would actually encourage all of us this week, read the whole book. It won't, it'll take you less than 30 minutes. Just do it. Um, And he has a lot of things to say to them, a lot of words of encouragement and instruction for them. But chapter three, chapter three is kind of the thesis statement of the whole letter. It's the the heartbeat of what John wants them to know. So what is the message? Chapter 3, verse 1. What great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. God has called us His children. And from there, John kind of teases out two instructions or two indicatives, if we're going to use a big theological word, right? Two things. So God has called us his children. So therefore, do not act like children of the devil. Rather, do act like children of God. If you're a note taker, you're going to write this down. Those are my two points. (laughs) I only have two because I was feeling a little bit lazy this time around. Okay. (laughs) Okay. All right, God has called us his children, so do not act like children of the devil. Rather, do act like children of God, okay? Now, let me take a step back for just a second and address the person or persons in the room who may be checking out, okay? You heard the passage read, and you just heard my two points, and you're like, okay, seriously? Children of the devil? Isn't this just more religiously motivated bigotry? where we literally demonize and condemn people who aren't like us, who don't think like us, who don't believe like we do, and we elevate our tribe, our group, and that way we feel justified in mistreating them? Isn't that what we're doing here? If that's you, first let me say, it is absolutely completely understandable why anybody in our, our culture would feel that way. Okay? Why? Because so many people have done exactly that with texts like this one, okay? In our own American history, people have used the Bible to justify slavery and racism and oppression and violence, okay? So it is a real thing. However, I'm going to ask you to do something for me. I'm going to ask you to keep an open mind. Would you be willing for just this time this morning, to set aside your assumption about what John is saying and listen to what it is he has to tell us in his own words and on his own terms. I think if we keep an open mind and we really listen to what it is John is saying, we might be surprised. Okay? So don't check out. Stick with it. But that begs the question, what does John mean? Children of the devil. Because I don't know about y'all, but I grew up in the South, and where I'm from, we used to say, we're all God's children. Aren't we all God's children? Like human beings, unilaterally, aren't we all God's children? It depends on what you mean. If by, which, if by God's children, what you mean is God created us, in that sense, yes, we are all God's children. The Bible is very, very clear. God created everyone and everything. The devil created nothing. Okay? Okay. But that's not how John is using the term. And when other biblical writers use similar language, most of the time they're not referring to creation, but rather categories of people in their position before their creator, in their relationship to God. And when used in that sense, John and all the other biblical writers are very, very clear. Human beings unilaterally do not show up in the children of God category naturally, unilaterally, we all show up in the children of the devil category. But what, is it, what exactly does that mean? Well, and actually to really unpack and figure out what that means, we're actually going to have to go to another book of the Bible. Now, John gives us a really, really big hint in verse 8. He says, everybody who sins is of the devil because the devil has been sinning since the beginning. If we needed to go back to the beginning, what book of the Bible ought we to turn to? Somebody just yell it out gold stars all around all around everybody gets an A Genesis, absolutely so Eric did a whole big long sermon series in the book of Genesis last year, if you weren't here for that I highly recommend you go listen to it on our website or our podcast shameless plug because I obviously can't rehash it all this morning, okay, I'm just going to pull out a few juicy bits okay that are relevant to our discussion this morning um, so genesis 1 what do we see god creates everything everything in the whole universe god creates it and he creates it good right and remember good in this case does not mean like adequate like eh, it's pretty good good means ordered beautiful full of flourishing and life right and then god creates human beings in his image now Again, this is something that we could spend several weeks talking about. We could do a whole sermon series on the Imago Dei, the image of God, and what that means and all the implications. So, but just for our reference this morning, one of the things, one of the big things that it means to be made in the image of God is that we are made to represent God. In a very real sense, human beings were created to be children of God. Okay, You guys have met my kids, right? There's a little blonde-haired girl and a little brown-haired boy. They're usually like running full speed all the way through, and they've probably like bumped into you at some point, or they've probably swindled you out of chewing gum. Um, I'm sorry about that. You know who you are. Now, we laugh, but why did I apologize? Because my kids represent me, don't they? They reflect on... Their behavior reflects on me as their father, Right? What they do, what they say, says something about who I am as their parent. In a very similar way, to be made in the image of God means that what we do, what we say, what we think, it says something about who God is. It reflects him in the world. We represent him. Okay? And because of that, God gave us a very, very special job. Do you remember at the end of Genesis 1, what does God say to Adam and Eve? He blesses them right? He says, be fruitful, multiply. And then he says, fill the earth and do what? Have dominion. What's that mean, dominion? Well, it's a very royal word, isn't it? Genesis gives us this picture of God as the capital K king of the universe, right? He's issuing royal proclamations, let there be, and boom, there is. And then after creating everything, God turns to his children and says, kids, I want you to be my vice regents, my royal ambassadors. I want you to go out into the world in my name and under my authority, and I want you to continue the family business. What's the family business? Filling the earth with order, beauty, flourishing, and life. That's a pretty awesome job. And that's what it means to be children of God. But we are not children of God anymore. We are now children of the devil. So something happened that categorically changed us and we see that in genesis chapter 3 where for the first time we are introduced to satan the devil now some of you might be surprised to hear me say this but the bible doesn't tell us a whole whole lot about satan it gives us the essential details but we don't get like a long biography of satan okay we but what we do know are a few crucial, important details. And I feel like this. one of the things, I just have to say this from time to time because of the culture that we live in, one of the primary things that the Bible says about Satan is that he's real. He's never, ever presented as a mythological figure or some sort of symbolic embodiment of evil in the world. He's always presented as a very real, a very personal being, not a human being, but a spiritual being. Who is at war with god and with god's people in fact the name satan means enemy adversary somebody who's opposed that's what his name means that's who he is um, but probably more fundamental all right i need to back up just a second just to be clear i just don't want anybody to think this god and satan are not opposites okay just just to be clear God and Satan are not rock'em, sock'em robots, and you're just kind of waiting to see who, who wins. If you don't know what that means, Google it later. Okay? <laughs> Satan is created just like the rest of us. Okay? Um, and God always wins his battles. But Satan is the spiritual enemy of God and the spiritual enemy of God's people. That's who he is. But more fundamental than that, more central to his identity than being the enemy is that Satan is a liar. In Genesis chapter 3, he's not called Satan. What is he called? The serpent. Which is important because in ancient Near East, serpents were a symbol of deceit and treachery. And what, does, what is the very first thing that the serpent does? He tells a lie. You guys remember? What is it that he told Eve? Did God really tell you that if you ate the fruit from that tree that you were going to die? Oh, no, you poor stupid girl. <laughs> You're not going to die. God is lying to you. Oh, see, God knows that if you eat the fruit of that tree that you will know good from evil. You'll be just like him. He doesn't want that. He likes to control you. He wants to keep you under his thumb. He doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. He's holding out on you. If you ask me, you are far better off on your own. And all you have to do to get there is just reach out your hand and take it for yourself. Now, God had done nothing to warrant the distrust of Adam and Eve. There was nothing in their prior experience that would lead Adam and Eve to believe the word of the serpent over the word of their father, God. But they did. And when they did that, and when they took their hands and reached out and took it for themselves, from that moment on, every human being that would ever exist, which includes all of us, became enslaved to the devil's lie. All of us became children of the devil. Because now all of us Every single one of us is born seeking moral and spiritual autonomy. Every single one of us live our lives saying, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. He's not going to give me what I need or what I want. If I need something, the only way I'm going to get it is if I reach out my hand and take it for myself. In fact, I'm pretty sure God is holding out on me. That's why he's up there coming up with all of these arbitrary rules. He doesn't want me to live the good life or have a good time. So I'm better off deciding what's right and what's wrong for myself. Thank you very much. Now, that can look very irreligious, but that can also look pretty religious. Go back and listen to Eric's sermon series on the prodigal son. But all of us now live this way. And because we are all seeking moral and spiritual autonomy... We are now, just like our father, the devil, enemies of God. Why? Well, God is the capital K King. and There can only be one capital K King. And it's not me and it's not you. And when we try to live autonomously from God, what we, in a sense, are saying is, God, you can be king over there, but I'm going to be king of my life right here. But you do not have monarchical claims on your life because you did not create you despite what the American dream says. You did not create you. So to say, I will be the king or queen of my life is a sense to say, I am at odds with the present king and I will usurp his throne. We are God's enemy. God is opposed to us. But worse than that, to be children of the devil means that now, just like Satan, all of us are now fundamentally liars. John calls it sin. We're back at John now. John calls it sin. John makes a big deal out of sin in the book of 1 John. And that's a word we use a lot in church, isn't it? We say the word sin a lot, but we rarely define it. What does the word sin actually mean? It means doing bad stuff. Well, yes, but more more specifically, what does sin mean? To sin means to miss the mark. Think of like an archer shooting an arrow at a target, but the arrow doesn't hit the target, right? To miss the mark. That doesn't actually sound all that bad, does it? That doesn't sound all that insidious or wicked. Unless the target is our humanity. To sin means to live in a way that is less than human. To miss the mark of our own humanity. Do you see there in verse 4? where John brings up the law. He says, everybody who sins breaks the law, for all sin is lawlessness. What's that about? Why is John bringing up the, God's law? Well, God's law does two things. One, it exposes our rebellion against God. Here are the proclamations of the king, and we disobey all of them. But more than that, the law of God sh- exposes our inhumanity. The law of God says, you shall not commit murder. Why is murder a sin? Why is murder less than human? Well, we could say a lot of things, right? We could say, well, when you murder somebody, you're doing grievous, irrevocable harm to another human being, right? You can't take that back. And you're, you're doing harm to their friends, their family, and their circle of influence, right? Like, these pe- that person will never come back and they won't work the job that they've worked, and they won't be in the family anymore. Like, you've taken something from a whole community, and you've damaged society as a whole. Nobody wants to live in a society where people just go around murdering each other, right? Now, that's all true. That is all absolutely true, but that is not fundamentally what makes murder a sin. Murder is a sin because it tells a lie. Because remember, we are made in the image of God. What we do, what we say, what we think it says something about who God is. And murder is a sin because it tells the lie that God thinks life is cheap and expendable. But God loves life, He is the author of life, it is precious to Him. Why does the law of God say, You shall not commit adultery? Why is adultery a sin? When we cheat on our spouse, does it harm our spouse? Yes. Do we actually do harm to ourselves when we engage in sexual activity with someone other than our spouse? Yes. Do we harm our circles of influence when we are unfaithful to our promise to our spouse? Yes, absolutely. But that is not fundamentally what makes adultery a sin. Adultery is a sin because it tells the lie that God is unfaithful. But he has always been faithful. And he always will be faithful. The law of God says, you shall observe my Sabbath. Why is it a sin to work seven days a week? Do we harm ourselves when we constantly work and never rest? Yes. Do we create unjust societies that, where the rich can oppress the poor when we do not have regular cycles of work and rest? Yes, that is absolutely true. But fundamentally, the reason that it is a sin to break the Sabbath is that because it tells the lie that God is a tyrant who demands. But he's the good shepherd who leads us to green pastures and to still waters, who quiets our souls. You see, friends, what it means to be a child of the devil, it means that while we were made to represent God in the world, now all of us are constantly misrepresenting him. We were supposed to fill God's earth with life and order and beauty. And instead, we have filled it with lies. Lies about God. Now, I realize I I can be a bit dramatic. And to some of you, I might seem a little bit angry right now. And I just want you to know I'm not angry at you. I'm angry at me and my sin. But I think we need to hear this from time to time. God is angry about our sin. Now I realize that is not a popular idea in our culture. We we get kind of offended at the idea that God would ever be angry. But let me ask you a question. Has anybody ever told a lie about you? Has anyone ever misrepresented you in such a way that it damaged your reputation? If so, how did that make you feel? Were you perhaps angry? God has every right to be angry. The question is not whether or not he is angry. The question is, what does God do with his anger? What should God do? He was supposed to have this world filled with his children who would fill the earth with life and beauty and goodness. And instead, his good world has been filled with his enemies dragging his name through the mud. You see, our problem is that we think God cannot simultaneously be full of wrath and full of love. But Romans 5 tells us that God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for the ungodly. God's answer to a world filled with his enemies. His answer to his own righteous anger was to send his son. What does John say in verse 8? He says that the son of God came to destroy the devil's work. Don't you see? The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ eradicates the devil's lie. It sets us free. Do you think God doesn't care about you? That God is not going to give you what you want or what you need. He who did not spare his only son for us, how will he not then give us all good things? You think God is holding out on you? That he doesn't want you to live the good life? Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and life to the full. Do you think God doesn't love you? God the Father thought it better to condemn his son than spend eternity without you. He loves you. He loves you. Our God loves us with a deep, scandalous, bloody love. And not only does the cross and resurrection of Jesus set us free from the devil's lie, not only does it demonstrate the love of God that he has lavished on us, but it categorically changes us what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. You see, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, if you believe and accept that he lived the perfect human life, he hit the bullseye of humanity in your place, and he died the most inhuman death imaginable for you, and if that is your faith, then you, my friend, have the Holy Spirit... Do you see in verse 9 where where John says, everybody who is born of God? That's John's way of saying, like, God has acted salvifically on your behalf, has enacted salvation for you, right? That he has God's seed in him. God's seed is a reference to the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, right now, this second, God himself, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, has taken up residence in your insides. God is alive inside of you right now. And because of that, you are now united to Jesus. You are connected to Jesus so that now what is true of him is true of you, excluding his divinity. You are not God. But Jesus is the beloved son of the Father. Now you are a beloved child of God. Jesus is the one perfect, righteous human being. And if you are in Christ, you are now perfect and righteous in God's sight. Jesus has all the love and adoration and glory and honor from the Father. And if you are in him, that is yours too. And so what what is John saying? What's John's point here? Well, the entire book of 1 John, John uses like this opposing category language, this very dichotomous language, right? He says things like life and death, light and dark, children of God, children of the devil, righteousness, sin. And his point is this. You have the Holy Spirit. That means you are in God's family. You are a child of God. That means you're in this category. But your sin is in this category over here. It doesn't belong to you anymore. In fact, it is categorically at odds with who you are. Put it differently, John is saying a Christian who sins is an oxymoron. It categorically is absurd. It doesn't make sense. It's like talking about a fish that breathes air. Right. You are a child of God. Your sin no longer belongs to you. Now, why is this the message? Why is this the message to our brothers and sisters in the first century who've just gone through what they've gone through? Why is this the message? Because it's so easy. It is so easy when Monday morning rolls around, when the daily grind of life starts to wear on us, and when we go through circumstances that are discouraging and disorienting and devastating, we start to live like nothing has really changed. Like really we're still who we were. Now, this can look like a lot of things, and I would actually encourage us in our small groups, our community groups this week, to really flesh this out. What does this look like for us to begin living like nothing has categorically changed? But here are some examples. It's doing things like this. Yeah, I probably shouldn't look at pornography, but, I mean, everybody that I know deals with it. And what I do in my room when I'm by myself doesn't really hurt anybody. Can't be that big of a deal. Yeah, I probably shouldn't say things like that about certain people, but I don't say it to their face. And, you know, it's just me and my, my friends over here, and everybody talks this way. It's not that big of a deal. We're not hurting anybody. Yeah, I probably shouldn't scream at my family when I get upset, but I just get so angry. I can't control myself. Besides, everybody's got their thing, right? We're all just sinners saved by grace. Right? Isn't that what the Bible teaches? We're all sinners saved by grace? John would say, no. You have the Holy Spirit. You are a child of God. Your sin does not define you anymore. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't fit you. Now, if what you're hearing me say right now is, Christians don't sin, back up. Go back and read the book of 1 John. In chapter 1, John says, Every, If anyone says that he is without sin, he is a liar. And the truth of God is not in him. But if, we are, but if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive them. What John is saying is that, what do we do with our sin? We don't make peace with it. We don't excuse it. We don't minimize it and pretend like it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. Jesus died to take your sin away. He wants it away from you. He wants you purified of it. And he was willing to die to do that. What do we do with our sin? John says we drag it out into the light and we confess it. And we let the Son of God destroy it. And one of the best ways that we can love each other as john also commands them is to help each other by reminding each other this is who you are this is who you are a beloved child of god and that doesn't belong to you anymore i know i've gone really really long and i'm sorry i'm going to give you one last illustration that i think really helps okay and then then we'll be done there's a phenomenon that happens with adoption. I don't know what your experience is with adoption, but if you have friends or family or any, you know anybody, um, I bet you if you ask them, they'd be, they prob- if they don't know this themselves, they could probably like, point you to somebody who could testify to this. It's very common. When children who are born into a, a house or they grow up in the foster care system and they're neglected, Okay, so they're not fed regularly, and they're not cared for in the way that they need to be cared for, Uh, and then they get adopted into a family that loves them and cares for them and feeds them three meals a day with snacks in between, these children will do something very, very odd. At mealtimes, they will take some of the food, and they'll tuck it away, and they'll hide it. And they'll go and, like, squirrel it under their bed or under their pillow or in their closet, right? Um, And, of course, they're getting fed regularly, so they have no need of it later, so eventually it goes bad, and it smells, and the parents are like, why is there half a bologna sandwich under your pillow? right? What's that about? Why are they doing this? Well, you see, even though categorically speaking they are now children who are loved and cared for and nourished, they are so used to living like children of neglect that they're just in the habit of it, even though it is absolutely absurd that they do it. That's just what we're like. We're just in the habit of living like children of the devil. But what a great love the Father has lavished on us that we who were his enemies should be called children of God. And that is what we are. So don't live like who you were as a child of the devil. Live like a child of God. Because that is who you are now. And one day, when Jesus Christ returns, you will be like him inside and out. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Oh, Father, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you delight in me. And I pray, Lord, that your delight and your love would permeate this body, that every one of us we we'll begin to live our lives more and more every day convinced in our deepest, darkest parts of our soul that you love us, that you are for us, and that we are new, and that our sin doesn't belong to us anymore, and that we can put it away. Help us, Holy Spirit, by your power, and Lord Jesus, in your name and for your glory. Amen.